welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for another week. What a ridiculous week in women's football. Like, holy moly, that was just insanity, not just here in Australia, but across the globe. So this is going to be a fun episode because we have plenty to talk about. But before we get into all of it, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's ridiculous episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and Anna Harrington. So, girly pops, Let's start with some you love to see. It's because there were so many things to love and so many things to see. Like, I can't stress enough how ridiculous this week was. And we were talking about it before we hit record about just the list, the never-ending list of things we might have loved to see. So, Angela, amongst all of it, what did you love to see from this week? I love to see, well, okay, full disclosure. I loved to see written down that Rachel Lowe had scored two goals for victory this weekend um, against the Newcastle Jets. The disclaimer is that I did not see the first goal because we were still, you know, waddling from the car park at the home of the Matildas into the game. But, and it happened like within the first minute, um, that goal, she leaped on basically a, a poor save from the Jets and just finished it up. So you love to see that. That takes skill. Um, intuition all of that good stuff but the second goal for Rachel Lowe I really enjoyed as well um yeah basically just a banger from her and we've definitely seen these kinds of goals that she can do we saw them at Sydney but we're finally kind of seeing it at victory and what she can do and she's been having such a great season so far so for her to be able to get the I think it was the so many goals and so bad at counting uh, I think yeah her second goal <laughs> the second goal for victory against the Jets um yeah great finish a lot of power loved it um yeah so Rachel Lowe banging them in you, you love to see it and hopefully many many more for her this season um I think we're finally kind of seeing victory turn turn a corner and do good stuff so fingers crossed touching wood all that jazz you love to see it can we call it the Rachel Lonesance or is that not a good joke? We'll we'll discuss that off pod. We don't need to talk about my dad's jokes no, on that's pod. Good. Thank you. I, I really I appreciate that. Thank you. Sam, what did you love to see from this weekend? <laughs> uh, so I've been quite critical of them over the last couple of episodes, but my you love to see it this week is a moment of magic from the Western Sydney Wanderers in their game against Melbourne City, specifically their first goal, which was scored uh, by Sophie Harding. It was an amazingly easy goal. It's the kind of goal that you watch that makes football look like a, just a really simple calculation of angles. It was a counterattack. They were already 2-0 down. It started with a, a, a catch from the goalkeeper who rolled it out to a player. And within, I think it was like four passes, the, the ball was in the back of the net. A, a huge shout out to Kush LaRue as well, who made a really, really important run in order to get the assist, the, the beautiful little sort of square ball back for Sophie Harding. But real shout out to Sophie Harding. Oh my God, she had an absolute cannon of a foot in this game. Uh, and she was at the top of the box. She took a simple little touch inside near the D and just leathered it into the far corner. It was absolutely amazing. And it was like, it was the kind of goal that makes you realize that this team is capable of this stuff. Like Melbourne City are no pushovers, you know, like they're a really good side. They're in the top four. 
and they were able to just cut through them within four or five passes. It was really, really impressive. Um, hopefully, like victory, this game against Melbourne City, even though they did lose, is a bit of a turning point, particularly in terms of their confidence. Obviously, the Wanderers have been going through a lot in the last couple of weeks um, and preseason as well. But this was the kind of game, I think, that can really make them believe in themselves. So Sophie Harding's goal for Western Sydney, you love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. I'm going to do quick listicle you love to see it before we get into Harrow's because, like I said, there were so many things. So Chloe Legazzo's goal for Western United, stunning, magnificent. Jordan Silkowitz's whole game, Brisbane Raw goalkeeper, save after save after save, a penalty save. Absolutely love to see mm. it. Macy Fraser, absolute banger for the Knicks. We will talk about her more a little bit later. Susan Fonsonkem, another one we will talk about later, just keeps scoring bangers. Going international, Caitlin Ford just scored a chip for Arsenal in their 6-2 win over Leicester, right out of like the Sam Kerr school of chipping goalkeepers. Magnificent, stunning, I'm eating. And finally, Rose Lavelle in the NWSL final. Just, we all know like what a good technical player Rose Lavelle is. And she just did this turn, was evading defenders left, right and centre. She didn't like, OL Reign didn't win. But the Rose Lavelle turn alone, love to see it. Mm. Enough me time. Harrow, you literally messaged the group chat. You'll never guess what my you love to see it is. So what is your you love to see it for this week? And it wasn't the Sam Kerr thing. Um, no, it was funny. I was doing our, like, uh, AAP snapshot and we had the player of the round and I was editing it and my colleague Justin Chadwick had fair enough put in Susan Fonson Cam, who has been sensational for Perth Glory. And then I went, sorry, Susan, we love you. But it's time to go because the player of the round was clearly Holly McNamara from Melbourne City. Um, it was 4-3 that game. She had a hand in all four goals. She won a penalty, which Rihanna Policina scored, and then she scored a perfect hat-trick. So for those that don't know, that's score a goal with your left foot, your right foot, and a header. Um, like If she's not the best player in the league, then I'd love to see the competition because she just got on another level. Um, I think we all knew how talented she is. She has Matilda's cap. She's 20. She's a, the sensation of this league. But she just tore things apart yesterday. Um, it was quite extraordinary. Like everything good that Melbourne City did, it felt like she was involved. And it was the nature of the goals that really impressed me. Like talking to Dario Vidosic after the match as well, it, they felt like strikers' goals, um, like not, you know, just classic sort of winger ones. Like right place, right time, opportunistic. I don't know where she got these hops from because she just jumped so high over everyone else for that header. And um, there's some pretty good photos of it as well. It She just cleared them and it was, yeah, super impressive. She's got pretty much everything you need to be a top-class player. She's comfortable on both feet. We know how quick she is, evasive, has really good football smarts um, and just, just was dominant. Um, and... It's so good to see because we know the history of injuries she's had and we knew it was always going to take time for her to hit her straps. But yesterday she was playing with like this strut and swagger and it was like when a player just knows how good they are and how much better they are than a lot of other players and when they're in form and you can just see that confidence sort of brimming up and even spilling over. She she was just in a league of her own yesterday. She's now leading the golden boot, um, which is particularly impressive given, you know, she really plays as a winger for Melbourne City um, with four goals and she's got a bunch of assists and key passes and all that from the opening month as well. And it's kind of just like 
as if she picked up where she left off a, a, almost at the end of the last season or even before she did that that ACL a couple of years ago. And she just looks ready to go to another level. And there was a good quote from Dario Vitasic on that bear with me. I will just pull it up. Um, he was basically said about how she does all the work on the days off, those sorts of things. And he said, she's got the right mentality and I think she'll be a superstar, not just in this league, but probably for the national team and somewhere abroad pretty soon as well. It, it does feel like the world is her oyster once she is ready. So we know she has Matilda's caps. I think it, is, it does feel like it's, if there are players who can break into this Matilda's 23, Tony Gustafson made it pretty clear after the Olympic qualifiers that it's going to be really, really difficult for players to break in because so many of these players are playing so well. Players like obviously Claire Wheeler and Amy Sayer have stepped up. Um, you think if they think McNamara is ready that if Courtney Vine's not back from that hamstring, there's an obvious role to fill there as well. But guys, I'm interested in your thoughts because I thought she has just gone next level. Yesterday was just, I think that's the best I've seen her play. She just looked utterly dominant and, you know, clearly has to be the player that's on, on the precipice of that selection. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think uh, the the context of that being Courtney Vine, number one, is injured. Number two, hasn't really been performing too well, either for club or for country, I think is a is a, um, a good opportunity for Holly Mack to, to come back um, into camp and, and be given a real shot. I think that's great. I, I don't disagree that she's one of the best players in the league. I think it, it really depends on a couple of other factors. Um, yeah, she was epic against the Wanderers, of course, yeah. And it helps, I think, being part of a very good team that understands how to work with her. Um, because there are a lot of good players in this league, but they're playing in teams and in systems that maybe don't really allow them to shine in quite the way that that, that Holly Mack can now. And it helps, I think, that she's surrounded by largely the same players that she was with last season and the season before. And so she really understands Agreed. and has chemistry with those players, particularly Polisina. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's great. It's like it's the kind of football that you just kind of want to sit there and and watch like you don't want to have to think about it you don't want to have to analyze it or, or do it for any of those kinds of purposes you just kind of want to sit and enjoy it because this is a you know a, not a generational talent but one of a generation generational talents um coming through the dub at the moment and yeah like you'd, you'd like to think that based on past players that we've seen who have been performing in this way that this is the last season or two that we'll see of holly in australia um, I would love to see her challenged overseas because it does sort of seem like she's part of that bracket of players now who are just a little bit too good for the dub um, and they need to go and test themselves somewhere else and see actually where their ceiling really, really lies. Uh, yeah, so I, I'd love to see her called into camp, um, whether as a, as a full player or as a train-on, um, as a reward for the fact that she's come back from that injury and is performing so well. So, yeah, I think she's great. And of course, there are so many like things when you talk about best player in the league, like man, friend of the pod, Joey Lynch, talking about this because you got Rebecca Stott in that city team who's so fantastic. We've seen some of the form players around the league. We we're just talking about the Knicks as well. Um, but it feels like, as you say, Sam, almost too good for this league. Uh, maybe one more season at most for McNamara, just with that injury history. You wonder if she'll just to get that continuity before going overseas. But yeah, I think national team wise, it, it feels like a matter of when rather than if, right? If it's not this window, it might be the next one. But it, I think it's exciting um, when you've got players putting their hand up that strongly and playing that well. Um, obviously, you know, still for room for improvement. I think Dario talked about the, you know, things like the defensive side and that sort of thing that younger players always have to 
have to work on. But, geez, it's exciting to see players. I think when that gauntlet sort of thrown down and said, you know, it's going to be really hard for team for players to break into the Matildas, to have some players, whether they're like feel very ready like a McNamara or maybe a, a bit further away like your young Matildas, like your Fontenkamps that are stepping up. It's a really exciting prospect, I think, in this opening round of the dub. So, yeah. It feels like Holly Mac is the the outright leader of the who can break into the Matildas, um, but yeah, it's it's been a really good start. I reckon following that conversation, we might have to schedule in a Tilly's Olympic squad big board chat for some time soonish because I think the other thing we need to think about I suppose with the Olympic squad is just how small it is. Like it's only an eighteen player squad, so that makes what Holly is doing in the dub even more kind of impressive because you want someone who is going to deliver immediately in a squad that small. So I reckon that is one we will pencil in a little bit later, but we'll stick with that game that Holly bloody played a hand in every single goal that Melbourne City scored. So it was City for Western Sydney Wanderers 3. The kind of questions that we got on Twitter from all of you that we absolutely love, make sure you send them in on a Sunday. Um, We had one from Marie who is a Western Sydney fan and she was asking that despite the Wanderers losing, should Wanderers fans be taking a lot of positives from this kind of result? Because putting three past City, which I think you said, Sam, nothing to turn your nose up at. So should Wanderers fans be feeling a little bit of positivity and the flip side of that is should City be letting the Wanderers score three past them because it feels like there's a very clear answer there yes and no right like yes Wanderers fans should be thrilled and they weren't bad goals it's not like they're just bundling home jammy stuff from corners Sam beautifully talked about the the Sophie Harding goal they um they played it really smart because City love to have possession they're vulnerable on the counter right um, I think this is a game where I probably would have liked to have seen Leah Davidson in there in terms of providing that extra bit of a blocker, for want of a better word, just a screen, a screening midfielder, I suppose, to cut down some of those chances. I think that is where City are really vulnerable. And um, it's funny when you talk to Dara over just every time, it's like it's either they're not bad putting away the goals or they're opening themselves up. It does feel like they need they do need to tighten up and I think they'll know that and they need to to get that right, they, they can just be easily um, unwound in that sense. But I think Sam's answer earlier, her you'd love to see it, really summed it up, that they've shown they can score good goals. Um, Robbie Hooker said, um, when I asked about Sophie Harding, he said, like, you know, she's been getting in the right places, but it had been things like, say, her first touch letting her down or the finishing letting her down, and she sort of managed to get that to all come together um, yesterday, which is really pleasing. Um I think if they can tighten up defensively, like some of those goals, like we talked about how good McNamara was, but the penalty for Polisina, like there's just no need. I think it's Amy Chisari to just hook a leg around McNamara. Like there was always going to be a penalty. It was very similar to one that happened in the men's game just before that, funnily enough, like just a needless penalty. The the lack of awareness and um, we're talking off air, Sham Kamas deservedly gave a defence a fair old spray after the second goal, which was McNamara's first, just for not clearing their lines. And some of it is going to be brilliance, great passing, those sorts of things. Like the McNamara header, she just jumped clean over everyone. I didn't, I didn't mention she sort of tweaked her ankle, but they think she'll be okay. But yeah, if they can tidy up some of those things, then they should have a lot of reason to be optimistic. And they're missing Caceres at the moment, who's been such a handy player for them. She's out for sort of six to eight weeks. Um, 
be interested to see when Millie Clegg comes in because we know how exciting a prospect she is. So I think there is some reason to, you know, have some, some optimism about the Wanderers. Um, Sam, you were understandably pretty harsh on them in, in preseason and we've yeah. not seen great things from them in previous seasons. This is this is the best I've seen them play because I went in with really, really low expectations of what they would do yesterday. And when they scored three goals, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, Melbourne City didn't help themselves in that respect. Like two of of the Wanderers' three goals were pretty, you know, that's like a better defensive team would have not conceded a chance, chances like that. Um, and it's interesting as well, it's thinking about Melbourne City, because like while they have scored the most goals in the top four currently, they've also conceded the most goals, uh, which is an unusual thing to say of Melbourne City. Usually they they tend to be quite, um, quite tight at the back. So the fact that they've conceded six in four games is... Kind of like, hmm, okay, interesting. Um, yeah, but no, look, I like I said in the intro, uh, it's it's positive signs from the Wanderers, and I think like having, you know, it's it's always going to be hard for a new coach coming in so close to the start of the season, having to figure out who the players are, how they combine with each other, and the kind of style that, uh, or the kind of system that really makes them all click and flourish together. Um, and I think that that opening goal, that transitional goal for Sophie Harding was probably the best example of what the Wanderers should be aiming to do this season. Um, they don't have the ball players to be able to be a possession-based team, but they do have the speed in order to be a transitional one. And I think that this is probably in lieu of another striker because this is what Sophie Harding does, right? It's what she did at Newcastle. She's just got, she's got, got the vroom vrooms. And if you're able to create a system around her that allows the vroom vrooms to happen, um, we see the we see the result, right? She scored two goals, uh, and one of them was was the the end uh, the fin- the ending point, the finishing point of a really good team move. Um, yeah, so if they if they're able to really embrace that um, and and use the similar style, similar kinds of players um, against the the I guess the bigger teams, the the heftier kind of teams. You know they could be they could easily climb up the ladder, um, but it's just about developing that consistency now. I think and and trying to shut up shop at the back, um, and hopefully bringing in Millie Clegg is going to help with that as well. Are we going to talk about got the vroom vrooms, or are we just going to let that one? Sit? I think we just leave it there. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty. Yeah, <laughs> let that one sit. Anyway, that's the episode title. So thank you for making my job um, easier in that respect. Also, sorry, just really quickly, I checked Twitter while you were talking, and this vision of Megan Rapino out at the club after she um, did her Achilles. So I assume she's just like literally Queen. walking around Queen. the nightclub in a moon boot. So in a moon boot. Well, I think she said she can't actually feel where her Achilles is anymore because you have to <laughs> the snap. Pain. I think she said that in the post match. Like, so it's That's just disgusting. like, carry on. As you anyway. were. Sorry, Sam. In, enjoy retirement. This is where we're at now. <laughs> See, her Achilles is somewhere in her leg. No one quite knows. Well, oh my. I was looking at Twitter just to be like, geez, everyone's going on about Kyra Cooney Cross. And Marissa went, no, no, I know where the real party's at. It, it's Megan Rapino with the clubs. <laughs> You know what? Megan Rampino is not the only one partying. Her Achilles is somewhere in her calf partying as well. Anyway, we'll get back on track now because that's enough out of me. Um, We'll talk quickly about the Vuck Newcastle game because like Angela said, you were there, you were watching it. Um, Literally a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about victory 0-2. Should we be worried? This feels like the kind of performance where it's like, 
we're here. Everything's fine. Everything's clicking into gear. So, Angela, I know you loved Rachel Lowe's performance, but what else did you like about Victory? What seems to be working for them to be getting such a positive result? I think it, it really just felt like a continuation of last week um, in terms of things are just clicking a bit more. Like this this game, I felt like um, the first two two or so games like Rankin and Nash were still finding their feet but they're looking a lot more comfortable they seem like a lot more confident in what they're contributing to the team um interestingly like um Emma Checker didn't play yesterday so um Tori Hansen in the back line I think kudos there for like her and Kayla Morrison working together and being able to keep a clean sheet as well in saying that Newcastle I mean They've got hustle and bustle uh, at points, but they didn't really have any very strong or like clear opportunities from what I could tell um, in the game. Whereas victory, there were, again, and again, kind of similar to last week, I think they could have gotten more in. There's still a little, like, lacking a little bit of a um, clinical it's not a clinical mindset because it's what they're doing on the field, but like they just need to be a bit more clinical in front of goals. So like Aquino, for example, she, I think she had a a much better game this round and she's like, again, showing kind of where she fits into this side, but she just wasn't able to, to finish and get the goal, um, get the ball in the back of the net. So yeah, lots of positive signs. Um, I suppose in terms of, it's like we, you know, we were like, Western Sydney Wanderers have scored three against City. What do we take from that? Four goals against Newcastle? Uh, It's not to be sniffed at, but uh, I, yeah, I think I'm interested to see how Victory will go against um, some some stronger sides in the next few weeks. Uh, Anything else from the game that I like? I don't know. I think it's yeah, it's all looking it's all looking pretty good. I think that it seems more like the attack, a lot of the attack in the first few games was coming through Weiner and it seems to be a bit more um dynamic and a few few more things going on. Um Gielnik mm, coming calf. on and coming off is no good. Um calf tightness apparently. Jeff Hopkins said. Calf tightness. Is that bad? Is that um, like, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Like with her injury history, you I think that she was going for scans either last night or today. So, like, she knew something was up right away, right? Like, she just went and sat down and then had to come off pretty dejected. So, I mean, you'd have to think even with tightness, if you've got an injury history, they'll they'll be pretty cautious about that with her being a and such an explosive player as well. So, yeah, you really do feel for her, given her pretty torrid injury run over the last couple of years. Hopefully not too serious. Yeah, 100%. And I think... Um... Yeah, very keen to hopefully see her out and like in full fitness and doing it because she had a good couple of minutes when she came on, but it was just yeah, taken off very quickly. Uh, for Newcastle, I really enjoyed. I, I like Lara Gooch. Um, she seems she's very fun, and um, I'll I'll be keeping an eye on her for yeah the rest of the season. But I don't really have that much more to add in terms of the game. It's fun. They have Aperol spritz at the games. It's great. It was a beautiful day. What more could you want on a Sunday afternoon? I do want to give a bit of a shout out uh, to one player in particular for Melbourne Victory, uh, who no one's mentioned yet, which is Alana Murphy. 
Um, I think she's having a, a really, really good season with the Vuck. And the, the, the assist, the through ball that she had for uh, the L.O. Grady goal was unbelievable. Like she, she, she picks up the ball in a, in a defensive midfield position just in front of the centre backs, does a little spin away from pressure, looks up and within probably half a second makes a decision and threads this unbelievable pass, which goes, it's kind of too flat to be just like a long bomb. And it's angled so perfectly that it cuts through not only the Newcastle's midfield, but their two defenders as well, right, and spins right into the path of Ella O'Grady, who's making a run. It was so, again, like I, I mention balls like this sometimes because like my, the way that I, I know that it's a it's an amazing pass is that I kind of let out this like guttural kind of noise, which is not a thought. It's not a, it's not anything that I can vocalize in terms of language. It's just this kind of like, oh yeah, it was one of those kinds of moments. So shout out to Alana Murphy, unbelievable ball. Um, I was going to mention Lara Gooch as well. I think she's a, she's a real star for, for Newcastle and Claudia Chico as well. I thought had a very good game that, that clearance off the line. It could have made it five for Melbourne victory by the end of the game, but were it not for her coming sliding in and, and clearing that ball away, you know, um, she really saved their skins there. So, yeah, she's been considering this is only her second dub season and she didn't really play very much for Wellington at all last year. Uh, yeah, I think she's been a really great pickup for, for the Jets too. That leads to an easy transition about the Knicks because 3-1 win over Western United, not ridiculous to say that they are one of the form teams of the competition we were talking about it before we hit record about how we have to talk about the Knicks because holy crap the transformation like we are very early in the season but so far the transformation from last season to this season has been unbelievable like I was talking about Macy Fraser's goal she's been absolutely phenomenal but they're not just scoring baggers they're playing beautiful football so who would like to explain what's going on at the Knicks? Why are they playing so well? Like, obviously I'm enjoying it, but why, what has been the cause of this turnaround that they are now third on the ladder? So I don't think this is as, um, as shocking a development maybe as what it might seem for a lot of people. I think Wellington have been building towards a season like this for the last two years. And the fact that despite the the turnover in, of coaching staff, they have really stuck with the same core players largely that they started with is really proof of concept, I think, of what expansion clubs should be doing in this competition. Um, some of these players who are also part of the, the Football Ferns sort of development teams and even the senior team, have just come along in in really significant leaps and bounds over the particularly over the last two seasons. I think Mackenzie Barry is one of the best centre backs in the whole competition. Um, if she isn't like a future, and Kate Taylor as well, like the two of them, the fact that they have been able to keep the two of them together over the last three years is is really really important because the two of them are absolutely going to be the foundation of the football ferns going forward. Um, and then being able to uncover just these absolute superstars like Macy Fraser, like who is just burst from nowhere and is a local player, you know, hadn't been given an opportunity before and is now like this absolute weapon who can take these incredible free kicks, who's really dynamic on the ball. Like just 
what what is in the drinking water over in New Zealand? Because they just seem to have these players. And I don't know why more of them are not overseas, like ripping it up in the WSL or in the NWSL. Like these players are incredible. And maybe it is just that it's a generational thing. Maybe it's this sort of transitional moment for New Zealand football where now we've kind of got this core of, of players who went really far in a Youth World Cup only a couple of years ago. I think they got all the way to the semifinals. It's now this generation of players who are starting to break into full-time professional football. And these are the players that we're starting to see. Um, the fact that they were able to 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 pull off a three one win against Western United, you know, Western haven't been the the force that they were last year, but they're still a very good team. And this was a very competitive game. It could have swung either way in a couple of moments, but they just stuck to their style. They stuck to their combinations. They stuck to their system, and they were able to find goals in lots of different kinds of ways. Obviously, one of them was an own goal, which always helps. But being able to 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 score off. Um, off set pieces, I think is a really critical part of Wellington's game. They've got a lot of very, very good technical set piece players. Um, and obviously Fraser is one of them, but like their uh, Wellington's corners, I think have been some of the best corners of any team in the dub as well. Um, I just love them. I love seeing this. I love seeing young players who are able to perform in this way. Um, like I'm, I haven't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'd be really curious to see what the average age of Wellington are. If you remove Adelie Longo, because obviously she bumps up the, the average quite a lot, but like the, the sort of the average age of this core group of players, because I think it would, it would probably be one of the youngest um, in, in the entire competition. So the fact that they're able to perform in this way is really extraordinary. Yeah, and I think we're all of us on this pod eat a little bit of humble pie for the first month because none of us in preseason, as much as you say, Sam, they were building towards it, none of us were saying, no, no they're going to come in and push for finals and yeah. maybe even make them up. Um, but, yeah, I think you're spot on. I think one thing that's really important is they've tightened up defensively. I know they're still copying some goals, but it took a Chloe Legazzo banger, you know, to unlock them yesterday. And, you know, they lost to Melbourne City only 1-0 and they really frustrated them in that game and it was a bit of, Hannah Wilkinson heartbreak that got him. But, yeah, they're playing wonderful football defensively. I like what you say about Barry. Kate Taylor went into defensive midfield yesterday also as very well. Good. And yeah. yeah, really impressed there and just added that another layer because we know how much um, Western United use, like, like to use that pace to get through as well, right? Be quite nuggety in midfield and then you've got Keane and Legazzo up top. But, yeah, they're so impressive. Um, I think we've just, you know, it's been a third coaching change um, and Paul Temple I think deserves a lot of credit for the way he's put these players together um, it's surprising I think because of the amount of, I know they've kept a real core group together but turnover in terms of experienced players like losing Satchel and that who weren't able to really have the impact they would have they would have liked but I think Longo despite not necessarily starting the season after that ACL her coming in we know she scored the winner last week but just is such a steadying presence and such a leader around that group and would just know all the things to to get them firing, and especially impressive given they had to overcome obviously losing um, Grace Nesky for the for the season with that ACL tear, and she's one of their most impressive young players. Um, I think in terms of the the WSL and Europe factor, I feel like New Zealand's ranking might come into that, like what has sometimes happened with Australia, where you can struggle to get the contracts in England if you don't have the passport and stuff like that. Those sort of complicating factors might happen, but you've got to think that they if these players are developed right and then used correctly in the national team, they could be about to enter a really exciting period. Um, and it's whether Yuka Klimkova can actually, you know, get the most out of these players because there's so much talent there. And then when you combine 
these young players with like a Rebecca Stott, um, who's so experienced and we know they've got a few other players overseas as well. There's, there's a lot to be excited about. Um, I hope the Knicks can continue this because it can be difficult for young teams to maintain the momentum, tiring legs, you know, young bodies, that sort of thing. But yeah, they've been really exciting. And I think the the players that they brought in to compliment them have, have helped like Specmeyer and that has scored, has looked lively when she's come on. Yeah. They're, they're really, really fun. Um, and I'm excited to see how they go in a couple of weeks time. They'll, host Perth glory. And I think that's going to be fun. Um, so yeah, it's just nice to see. It's nice to not be talking only about the same teams, not just be talking Sydney victory city. It's nice to see teams like Wellington and Perth, albeit at this early stage, play some really, really fun football. And yeah, it's the, the dub is good when it's chaotic, right? She's always at her best when she is at her chaotic self. Um, like we said, Perth as well beat Adelaide 2-1, so they remain undefeated, four wins from four games. Really, things are purring along nicely for Perth glory. And then we had the Mariners and Brisbane Raw play out a 1-1 draw. And that's probably a good entryway to talk about some signings that were made during the week. There were two absolutely massive ones in Dublin. So we had Melbourne City welcome back Amina Ekic, which when I read that, I was like, that's a good signing because it's not alone from the NWSL either. Like she has signed for Melbourne City and we know how phenomenal she was last season. Um, And then the other big one was Casey Dumont returning to the A-League women. She signed with the Mariners. So we had a question about does Dumont automatically become the number one at the Mariners? Um, I think the answer is yes, but would love your thoughts any of you, all of you, on the signings of Ekic and Dumont and what they're going to do for their respective teams because they feel like they're going to be massive inclusions. Ekic-wise, I think she's massive. Um, she was super for Melbourne City last season before she suffered that really nasty injury. Um, when they were at the best of the start of the last season, it was Ekic creating those really clear chances, something that's been an issue for Melbourne City at times has been possession, 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 no end product. And Ekic is the sort of player that is really clinical with how she creates chances and, and can also finish them off. I think it, um, we talked about how good Holly McNamara is, but at times I think they can get a little too reliant on her. Like they look for her when they probably shouldn't. And if you can have Ekic, and I think she will start at some point. Unfortunately, the, um, and one of our friends of the pod team asked about Danny Galich in this sense, um, who's been a bit out of sorts because she's not a winger. She's been playing on the wing. She's clearly an attacking midfielder, but she's, unless she gets really into really good form, she's not going to be getting picked over Rihanna Policina in that in that 10 role, right? So I feel like, unfortunately, that's going to be the likely player to, to drop out for an Ekic. Um, as you know, talented she is, Ekic is, is a proper winger. I think balances up really nicely with McNamara, creates good chances. I think a really significant sign, and they've got her on a two-year permanent deal, so it's not a loan situation, so they control how that works. Um, you know, so they're not a threat of losing her to an NWSL pre-season or something like that. I, I think it's a great signing for them. And it just means they bat so deep attacking-wise um, on the bench as well. So, yeah, I think great signing for, for Melbourne City. And when you look at the options they can they can bring on, Riley Henry as well, Gallich. And, you know, you've also got Hannah Wilkinson starting McNamara. There's, there's just so much attack, like attacking stocks there. Great signing, I think. Uh, well, the Casey Dumont news 
was leaked a little bit no in the the a-league women's season guide um yeah she was listed there that came out like two weeks ago and so uh yeah not entirely a surprise for those of us who may have spotted that but um in terms of her starting straight away I Hara I know you have a clear answer on this but I I imagine she'd be feeling a little bit rusty having been she's been playing a different sport for a couple of months now um and just having watched Dumont in the past mainly at victory she does take a little while to settle but I think probably the best way to remedy that is to just get her out on on the field um so I imagine it won't be too long until we see her but um Hara you reckon yes you you don't sign Dumont and not she's not going to be the second keeper I think it's just no. yeah, a matter of I time. just you're gonna you sign Casey Dumont you're signing her to be your number one goalkeeper you're Western United you sign Hillary Beale I'll be shocked if she's not starting next week like you if you're paying big bucks on for goalkeepers in the dub sense and you attract them to your club you're playing them that's how things work and then then form can dictate like if Courtney Newbomb was having the time of her life and you know like goalkeeper of the season form then you could make Dumont earn it a bit but you know she's been fine but like you signed Casey Dumont right so you're probably gonna if she's right to go you probably want to bring her straight in I know she had a little injury late in the season at Hawthorne so I don't know if that's a contributing factor but yeah I would think if she's right to go she's right to go hey what's gonna be really interesting is how Casey Dumont performs when she's back I don't know if anyone had been following uh, social media during the week um, when she was announced as a signing for the Central Coast Mariners. There was some confusion, I suppose, on the timeline about, you know, what her status was in terms of the AFLW stuff, whether she was a dual athlete, whether she had been given permission to leave by Melbourne Victory entirely and, and her contract had been finished or whether she'd asked for, you know, the, the space to do both. Um, and she seems to have some uh, some feelings about Melbourne Victory. Uh, it's um, I don't have the tweet in front of me, so I can't read it um, verbatim. But the, effectively, she said that Melbourne Victory, um, the language that they used when they released her, was very telling of um, you know the fact that they uh, they they didn't want her anymore, even though she had asked for them to be a little bit more accommodating. Um, there wasn't any, like when she herself announced that she was going to the AFLW, she never said that she was quitting football. She always sort of used language that was quite vague and and, and suggested that she wanted to try and balance both of them. Um, but Melbourne Victory wouldn't give her that. Uh, so that's the reason why she's left. So there's a little bit of, um, yeah, bit of bit of tension there, I think. Uh, so I'd be curious to see how she takes that in her stride, that that feeling, um, when she finally does sort of put on the the, the shirt of, of Central Coast Mariners and whether she kind of takes that feeling of wanting to prove a point uh, into her season with the with the Mariners as and, well. So, And when she plays victory as well. Yeah, Sam. especially. It was all very interesting because at the time when she signed with Hawthorne, victory's statement, I just got to pull it up in my emails, um, she said they said that Dumont had been granted permission to compete for Hawthorne during the off season. She's currently contracted to Melbourne Victory until the end of the 23-24 season. Will be allowed to pursue the opportunity in the Australian Rules competition ahead of the next season. And I get the mm. feeling that the complication came when the AFLW 
because that's just the way Victory have put it as well, is the commitments extended into the A League women's season. Of course, Hawthorne haven't made finals, but clearly Dumont wouldn't have been heavily involved in Victory's preseason. And then also had Hawthorne made finals, they'd still be playing right now. So there was the mm. potential for her to miss had Hawthorne been good. Um, any like anywhere up to the first month plus of this season. Um, I get the impression once it became clear Lydia Williams was available, that probably, you know, forced the hand to an extent as well, right? So I, I'd love to hear the full set of details in here, but it I feel like there's there's two factors at play here. Um one is I think Casey Dumont has the right to follow both sports. But equally, clubs also have the right to go, actually, no, we want someone who's doing just the one. And yeah. it'd be interesting to see where things broke down that they weren't, you know, because they obviously have such a great history together, Victory mm. and Casey Dumont. So it's a shame that it has ended. At the end of the day, at least both of them, you know, Casey's going to be back playing for the Central Coast Mariners. Lydia Williams is doing well at Melbourne Victory. But, yeah, it's a shame to see such a, you know, good partnership break down. But, yeah, it would be interesting to see where it actually sort of all happened. Yeah, it's an interesting one, but I think you're absolutely right. Like, she has every right to pursue both sports, but she kind of needs both sports support, and she has that now. So, obviously, can't wait to see her make some ridiculous save because that's what she does. We know that's what she does week in, week out. So, looking forward to watching her play Let's move into the boot. There are a couple of injury boots. Um, Harrow mentioned Grace Wisniewski tore her ACL, um, which we hate to see, wishing her a smooth and speedy recovery. Um, also, teen sensation from Brisbane Raw, Grace uh, Kulamu also tore her ACL. So absolutely hate it. It's always really rough when it's um, a teenager that's doing it. It just feels like deeply unfair that they've had to now go through a year of their career rehabbing an injury. So wishing both of them smooth and speedy recoveries. Megan Rapino, as we, uh, as I mentioned, she's out in the club partying with her, um, and this is a verbatim quote, fucking yeeted Achilles. Um, so I, a uh, friend of the pod, I'm claiming her as a friend of the pod, Meg Linehan tweeted that quote directly and I was like, everyone gets to write in their articles and their match reports, fucking yeeted Achilles. So... Quote. That's Rapino's real legacy. <laughs> Fucking yeeted Achilles. I've said it too many times now, but um, obviously, quote, we love to see it. The injury, we absolutely hate to see it. Not the way that um, she deserved to end her career in the NWSL final. So absolutely hate that. Big boot to all of those injuries. Uh, the other boot that we need to talk about, uh, and I think, Harrow, you can speak to this because you spoke to Western Sydney Wanderers coach Robbie Hooker yesterday. Uh, the Wanderers are scheduled to play Canberra next week, this upcoming yep. uh, round of dub. Where? Well, it was meant to be in Bathurst, but they did a pitch inspection last week and it's no bueno. They're not going to be able to play that game in Bathurst. So, which I think they were quite excited to do. Not happening. Need an alternate venue. Um, myself and friend of the pod, Joey Lynch, were the two journos doing the presses last night. And I think Joey asked, like, What's the go with the game? Well, I think what's the go against going to play Canberra? And um, I was like, well, <laughs> because of a lack of ground availability after the Bathurst thing, the most likely they're looking for grounds and their most likely option is going to have to be postponing the game, which sucks. Um, one, I think Wanderers Football Park, the training base, they're getting the surface relayed. That's normally where they'd play. Still seems 
odd to me that they can't find another ground at short notice. I don't know what the go is with Combank Stadium. Obviously, I know it costs a lot to hire it out and this men's international break, so there's not the option for a double header. But it seems odd to me that there isn't a ground available that they've been able to find. And the alternative is potentially a postponement, which obviously inconveniences both teams, stuff's around everyone's training plans, stuff's around fans. It's just just not we need not what anyone needs, right? And especially after we've just been able to talk about the Wanderers putting on a pretty positive performance, there's the potential that they won't be able to go and build on it because of something outside the players at least control. No bueno. Um it yeah, you just don't want that, right? Like you should be able to play, you should be able to find a ground um that's up to scratch. Um obviously would need to be one that can facilitate the broadcast as well. And yeah, it it's, seems crazy to me that there isn't seemingly somewhere available for them to play this game. Um, Sam, you know New South Wales football better than me, like the grounds and stuff. But yeah, to me, it, it seems an insane situation that there isn't seemingly a ground available for them to play this game. Or a yeah, ground that they're like, willing to go to, I suppose. We've got a lot of them. <laughs> We're a big state. <laughs> There's a lot going around, but you know, it's it's a it's a the, in terms of the time bracket, a week is a, a really short amount of time to figure out something like this because you need to consider um, the fact that uh, embedded in the, the collective bargaining agreement for the A-League women is that there needs to be minimum standards in terms of facilities, in terms of changing rooms, in terms of the pitch quality, and there's also the consideration of broadcast. You can't put the game at a, a stadium that isn't capable of um, of, of hosting the, the particular kind of broadcasting infrastructure that they need for the league now. Uh, so because of that, it does whittle down the the amount of um, of grounds that are available. But you know, Wanderers have played in a number of grounds around Sydney. You know, over the years, you've got Marconi, you've got Valentine Sports Park, you've got a couple of other places that are fairly decent. Um, but the issue probably with those is that they're already booked out for uh, other games um, or other other events. Um, which is, I think, what happened with uh, there was a, a game at the home of Matildas. Uh, someone mentioned it to me on Twitter that there was a kind of a fluffing around where the A Leagues all of a sudden realised that the the Para CP Asian Cup was on at the home of Matildas, and they were like, "Oh crap, we have to like move some things around." So the, like a game got pushed to the next day, I think, because of the because of that. Like there was just a they just forgot, I suppose, that this thing was on at the same time and at the same place that they were meant to be playing. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not in those rooms. I, I can't speak to the decision-making or or who they were speaking to or who they weren't speaking to, maybe more to the point around this sort of stuff. But, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's not a great look, is it? It just smacks of, like, amateur hour that you can't find a venue. Like, I don't maybe I'm being too harsh. Or even, like, um, I saw some people suggesting, and again, without knowing the logistics, flip it to a Canberra home game. Surely a venue in Canberra might be available if we're having to do like last resort quick fixes. Surely there's got to be a better solution than postponement because postponement really does feel like the the option you would want to avoid um, in this situation. But yeah, big boot to that. But um, let's yeah. Just another, this is not a boot, but this is just a, oh, that's a bit of a bummer. Um, Sydney FC are out of Asia. Uh, I don't know if anyone had been paying attention to uh, to the to the what was been going on at the AFC uh, Women's Club Championships. Sydney FC were over there competing because they uh, they won the A League Women's last season, so they were in a group with teams from uh, from Iran, Uzbekistan, and Korea. 
they won their first two games, which is great. Sydney FC as a club, their first wins in Asia in this competition, which is amazing. Uh, but they lost their final game last night against Hyundai Steel Red Angels, which is one of the best teams in, in South Korea, uh, which means that they're out of the competition, which is a bit of a bummer. But I think we, we did get a question, Marissa, about uh, Sydney FC, didn't we? About uh, we did. yeah, whether this this uh, this break, so to speak, overseas is going to help or hinder them. Um, I may as well just sort of give my two cents on that, on that now. I actually think it'll help them. Um, Sydney weren't really playing well. Uh, before they left for this competition. I think having three extra games under their belt, particularly the opportunity to test some other players on the bench um, and to try out some different combinations against different types of opposition, I think is going to be really important for them coming back. Their first game is against Adelaide, which, you know, Adelaide haven't been performing very well either. So that should probably be a good um, a good uh, gateway maybe back into the dub. Uh, fairly straightforward kind of performance you think would would be able to secure three points there. Um, but yeah, just a bit of a bummer that they're out of Asia because this is a really good team. You know, you you think that if all things go according to plan, if, if everyone is in 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 good health, um, that they probably could have gone all the way to the final. But alas, it's not to be. And yeah, no Courtney Vine, no Nat Tobin on the one hand. Sam, if you have those two players yeah. fit and firing, that could be the difference. And exactly. I think the flip side actually speaks to your other point. I think it's really important for Sydney to they need to learn how to play without one Nat Tobin. And to a yeah. lesser extent, Courtney Vine, because she has a hammy, so she'll be back. I think that would have been a really good opportunity for Charlotte McLean, who wore the captain's armband at least once to to marshal this defence and lead this defence and, and set the tone there. Um, and also for their attack, and they've got some really talented young attackers as well to, to function without Vine. So I agree. I think as much as there can be the fatigue factor, um, I think they really needed this, especially because you have a short pre-season in the dub and their whole pre-season would have been... Very much planned on that, around Nat Tobin and Courtney Vine having um, big roles in it. So I, I think they can be better off for that. And, um, yeah, kick on. Love that bonus question. Sorry I didn't get to it during the chat. But um, let's wrap this episode up with some how goods. Who would like to kick off with the how goods? Because, again, there were so many you love to see it and there were so many how goods. So... Sam, kick us off. Um, I've got two how goods. One of them we've already sort of peripherally mentioned, and that was the NWSL final between Gotham and OL Reign. Chaos game. Absolute chaos game. Uh, Gotham ended up winning the title 2-1. Uh, we talked about the Megan Rapino injury before, but one of the great storylines of this final was that it was the final game of both Megan Rapino and Ali Krieger. And we have spoken about Ali Krieger uh, chaos and, and drama, I think, in previous episodes. So how lovely to see her come out the back of all of this in her uh, her, her, her recognition era, I think it was what Harrow titled it uh, pre-pod. Um claiming her one billionth trophy uh, after all the the um, sort of the situation unfolding off the field in terms of her divorce. Uh, so that was fabulous. I loved seeing uh, an outfielder in goal um, towards the end of the game. That was, that was amazing. I loved seeing the fans, uh, how many fans were at the stadium. I loved seeing one of the, uh, the outcomes of that uh, whole event was the establishment of a women's uh, club, like league forum uh, committee, which is amazing. Um, something that friend of the pod Moya Dodd has had a really big hand in in putting together as well. So shout out to her. Uh, so that was one, just a proof of concept of like if you if you build it, they will come. You know what a what a fun final. Some great players, some great football, drama, chaos, stories, uh, 
cool stuff happening everywhere. So that was cool. Uh, and and the second part is uh, the my second you love my second how good rather is um, the new Matilda's CBA. Uh, this is a really significant piece of work that the PFA have been um, focusing on for the past eight months. It was meant to be done uh, before the Women's World Cup started, uh, but I think having it happened now in the wake of how successful the Matildas have been almost gave the players more power, uh, more bargaining power in terms of asking what they want because they are in a position that they have never been in before in terms of influence and they're able to use that to their advantage. Um, so this CBA, I won't go into it, but you can you can read the my breakdown on, on ABC Sport, which goes into more detail about how exactly how it is significant because it, it, it didn't really make a huge splash media-wise. Like, yeah, the players are going to get more money, blah, 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 but the way in which they're going to get more money and the reasons behind that is actually what makes it really, really important. So go check out that story if you want to. Um, and, and, it, and it really matters. This is a four-year deal. Uh, it's the next Women's World Cup cycle. And as we saw from the 2019 agreement, which was the first to embed principles of gender equality into a, a joint CBA between the Matildas and the Socceroos, you know, that, that CBA really did lay the, the structural groundwork for all of the good stuff that we're now starting to see. So it's really, really important work. Uh, shout out to the PFA for for banging the drum with all of this um, and shout out to the players and to Football Australia for, you know, even though it was a niggly negotiation and there were some real points of tension, they were able to get across the line what I think is probably one of the greatest CBAs in women's football. And I think the bit of the nitty-gritty you talk about there, Sam, is the removal of centralised contracts to now the same as the Socceroos and Matildas each get fees for Yep. coming in so there's two factors one I th- it removes that debate some people are very keen on, on how is selection influenced by players who are contracted versus not contracted it's all very transparent now the fact that there's fees indicates how far women's football has come and that a lot of the players can rely on their club football for proper income they don't need to be given literally a salary by the national team in order to survive and be full-time athletes and i think an easy example is i believe it um back dates to October 1, which is the other one expired at the end of September. So say, for example, an Amy Sayer who's come in and played three games would get a payment for each of those. So straightaway players are, are reaping rewards. So it's, um yeah, it's really exciting and kudos to all parties to getting it done, especially given this sort of space has been really testy in other co's, netball, rugby league. So um, it never got feral. In the media, we know if it's going to get feral because we're the ones getting told about it, right? Um, and it never really boiled over in that sense. I think the most was a little bit of hurrying up and a little bit of nudging here and there, which is very normal for any CBA um, negotiations. So, yes, credit to all parties. And also it gives um, the Socceroos certainty ahead of their World Cup qualifiers and the Asian Cup and the Matildas ahead of that big Olympic qualifier and for future games. Um, yeah. Everyone's a winner when this stuff gets done and it's um, done reasonably promptly. How good. Um, any how other good. Any other how goods quickly, Harry? I have a, I have a very silly how good um, yes. from yesterday's game. Uh, shout out to friend of the pod, Yana, who works in media at Melbourne City um, and often does the social media. I think Angela knows where this is going. Um, for the opening goal, uh, I mentioned Holly McNamara gets fouled, Rana Policina steps up and takes the penalty. Yana is doing the classic filming behind the goal to get that that visual of the um of the goal as it ripples the back of the net. <laughs> Yana Policina uh, scores the goal, 
runs, like makes an absolute beeline for Yana who's holding the phone, grabs it by the arms and just goes, yeah. <laughs> and it's all on film because obviously Yana's filming and credit to the Melbourne City photographer who snapped the moment where um, Paula Cena grabbed old Yana. It's gone all over City socials. It's very funny. Uh, Yana, a very popular figure with the, with the Melbourne City girls. So, uh, yes, she had a bit of me time, a uh, moment in the sun yesterday, and it was all very funny. So, uh, yeah, Melbourne City feeling the love. How good? A very big how good. Angela, any how goods? Yeah, just a quick one. Um, the Paramatildas won the, I'm going to say it's a long acronym, so I want to make sure I get it right, the International Federation of Cerebral Palsy Football Asia Oceana Championships, which were held at, um, at home of the Matildas um, over the past week or so. So they uh, pipped Japan in the final and are now Asia Oceana champions. Um, and yeah, friend of the pod, Taryn Hedo, has been doing some like writing and coverage on the Paramatildas over on their website. So definitely recommend go check that out but yeah uh for those who don't know the paramatildas uh kind of came on the scene quite recently so and they've just been smashing it ever since so it's yeah massive how good it is a massive how good and very quickly it's congratulations on the worst kept secret in woso personal life history uh christy muis and our very own sam kerr are engaged officially they've acknowledged it rather than just walking around with giant rocks on their fingers so it's a massive congrats um to the pair of them we absolutely love to see it but that is us done for today thank you so much for tuning in as always we're over on espn.com.au and the espn app if you want to listen to us, we're on Spotify, Apple, all of the usual pod spots. If you want to have a chat to us, if you want to send us a question, which is probably more relevant for later in the week about the dub, about the tillies, about stuff, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see you. <laughs>